Good morning, Montview. Our next reading is from the first epistle of John. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So, breadcrumbs, rocks, and geodes. Now, if you heard Clover and Amanda's wonderful testimonials, you know that these are the ways that they like to think about their God sightings. Me? Well, I like to think of my God sightings more as peanut M&Ms or maybe regular M&Ms, but not those caramel ones. Those are gross. No God sightings happening there. You know, in preparing for my testimonial, I spent a lot of time these past couple of weeks looking for those peanut M&Ms, and thankfully, I found lots of them. And I know if you had to sit down and think about it, and I mean the kind of I have to preach about this for 15 minutes, sit down and think about it. Well, you would find a lot of those God sightings the way you've experienced God in your life. Well, so what to do with all those peanut M&Ms? Well, I organized them, of course. And as I started to do so, I realized for me that there are two distinct ways that I experience the creator in my life. And those are, first, God. 
with a big capital G. Like if you had to write it down on a piece of paper, almost like embossed, okay? And the second way is Jesus, kind of written in cursive, lovingly, at the end of a handwritten note. So let me explain. See, most of my childhood and youth was spent splitting time between my mom's house and my dad's house. They lived just a few miles apart from each other outside of Albany, New York. It was my mom who took my sister and I to church, and uh, we attended the Cathedral of All Saints, an Episcopal church uh, with a Gothic revival um, architecture to its sanctuary. You know, actually not too much unlike our sanctuary here at Montview, except uh, much, much older and uh, much more incense smelling. The music program was divine. There was a professional men and boys choir. There was a 54 rank, 3,000 pipe organ with these 32 foot bass pipes so big you could practically climb inside of them. The church was equally as impressive in its progressive ministry and mission work. Any of this sounding familiar? Now, You might be thinking to yourself, with such beautiful music and wonderful sermons, surely this must be where Adam found some of his God sightings. And you'd be right. Worship at All Saints was a powerful religious experience. But where I first understood God as a capital G was not at All Saints, but instead at a small Lutheran church in our suburban hometown. See, before my parents divorced, we attended Bethlehem Lutheran Church, a modest, typical-looking place. I mean, you know the architecture. It's that kind of A-frame-styled sanctuary with that unique mid-century mix of incandescent and fluorescent lighting. And I should add, by Lutheran, I mean Missouri Synod Lutheran. So that's about as far removed from the smells and bells and progressive theology of Episcopal worship at All Saints. It's here though that I have my first distinct memory of a God sighting, and not of the music or of a fancy instrument, but a children's sermon. I was six, maybe seven, and I can still remember sitting on the chancel steps, listening to the pastor deliver to us a message about what happens when you die. Now, if left in the wrong theological hands, that is a children's sermon that could go to some pretty rough places. But instead of preaching about clouds and the pearly gates or, you know, eternal damnation if we didn't do our chores, instead the pastor said this, I want you to imagine yourselves as a baby in your mother's womb. 
And all you knew then was that womb inside your mother. It was impossible for you to know the magnitude and the greatness of the world that you were about to be born into. So it is when this worldly life ends, it's impossible for you to know the magnitude and the greatness of what's next. That's a pretty beautiful way of thinking about it, right? Now, I don't know if the science of that holds up. You know, I can't really say we were having conscious thought in utero. And you know, not all children get to experience the world as a great and wonderful place. But what does hold up about that children's sermon is his description of a manifestation of God's love that is way beyond our human understanding. And clearly, that made quite the impression on me. As the psalmist writes in today's reading, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. This, to me, is God with a gigantic capital G, the way that I experience God, in which I understand there's a mystery to God that I can't possibly understand. Now, the truth of knowledge too wonderful for me isn't always the easiest for us know-it-all humans to come to terms with. But I'm thankful that the pastor of a small conservative Lutheran church had the theological guts to say to seven-year-old me, I don't know, and that's okay. Now, for the second way I experience God, let's fast forward to much more recent history. It was about six years ago, a little bit more than six years ago, that I walked into here for the first time ever in my life the Montview Sanctuary, I was a finalist, one of three finalists. I was here for my interview and audition to become your next minister of music. Care to know what my first impressions of uh, the Montview Sanctuary were? I thought, whoa, this place is a lot bigger than it looks in pictures online. I feel like that never happens. I feel like things are always smaller than they look in pictures. Anyway, after arriving, I was led up to the organ loft and I got my first chance to play the organ. Now, my first impressions of the organ were, whoa, this sounds a lot bigger than it sounded online. But it was great. I loved it. It reminded me so much of the organ I used to hear back at All Saints growing up in Albany, New York. I practiced and played the organ for probably about 45 minutes when Barb came up, Barb Hulak, our organist, she came up and asked me, do you want to meet John Kuzma? Now, this I really was not expecting. I figured that being the good and orderly and proper Presbyterians that you all are, there would be no interactions between the current minister of music and someone applying for his position. 
But another, nevertheless, uh, a couple minutes later, there I found myself in John's office, staring at this wall covered in pictures. Oh, there's John conducting the Crystal Cathedral. Oh, there's John leading the American Boy Choir. Oh, geez, there's John interviewing and talking with Aaron Copeland. Well, my first impressions of that was just, whoa. Well, as we talked, he told me that he had listened to all of my compositions on my website, and he had watched all my conducting videos on YouTube. Then he proceeded to tell me about almost every singer in the Westminster Choir, including their interests and their talents. It was almost as if he was reciting the choir membership directory by memory. Finally, he told me he thought I'd do great as Montview's next minister of music. Well, I appreciated the vote of confidence, but I haven't even met with the co-pastors yet, let alone audition in front of the choir. I thought John's comments were nice, but maybe getting ahead of things a bit. Well, turns out that meeting with the co-pastors uh, went uh, well enough, and uh, so did the audition with the choir. I was offered the position a few weeks later, and spoiler alert, I said yes, and was asked to return to Denver the last weekend of June. John and the search committee thought it would be a good idea for me to come and conduct a Thursday night summer choir session, but then also to stay and attend John's last Sunday worship as Minister of Music here at Montview. So the thought of coming out to lead a one-off Thursday night choir rehearsal seemed like a good idea to me. But being here for John's last Sunday, however, I was much less enthused about. I felt that my presence could be a distraction and John certainly deserved all of the attention after 28 years of wonderful service to Montview. I became even less enthused about it when John informed me that I should sit up front during his last service because he was planning to acknowledge me at the end. Oh no, I thought, that is definitely a distraction Definitely not the proper and orderly Presbyterian thing to do. Well, truth be told, I think I was a little nervous. I think subconsciously I was probably thinking to myself, you know, if he doesn't acknowledge me at the end of the service, I can take over the job without anyone noticing. And I told John I didn't think it was a good idea. Well, John insisted. I told him well, I'd sit up front, but it'd really be better if he didn't acknowledge me at the end. Now John just looked back at me, that little mischievous twinkle in his eye, and he nodded. Well, that Sunday morning came, and Lena and I sat right there, right there. And, you know, we were so moved seeing how deeply this congregation celebrated John's ministry. And watching John, who was pretty sick with Parkinson's by that point, 
conduct with the vigor of a man half his age, well, that was truly inspirational. You know, eventually the music ended and the last congratulatory words were said. Service was almost over. I thought I was home free. But then John, with that same mischievous twinkle in his eye, turned and he came over to me right there and gave me a big hug and gave me this. And that's his baton. Uh, such generosity of spirit is not usually found in the outsized ego-driven world of conductors. I was overwhelmed. It was then I finally realized what John was saying to me that morning and all the other times that we had interacted. He was saying, I believe in you. God believes in you. I love you. God loves you. You know, as the writer of the first epistle of John wrote, he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John Kuzma abided in love, and God abided in John Kuzma. And to feel John's love was to feel God's love. And that, to me, is the second distinct way I experience God in my life as something much more intimate and tangible. All the ways that people in my life have showed love to me. See, that's Jesus, written in cursive, handwritten in cursive. That's the manifestation of God's love in human form. Now, isn't it interesting, at least in the way I experience God, to consider these two distinct ways? You know, God as that big capital G, a power way beyond our human comprehension, and Jesus, lovingly written in cursive, an intimate, tangible, daily experience of God's love for us. You know, as I think about those two distinct, seemingly opposed ways of experiencing God, I realize, for me, that there's a third way, and that's music. You see, for me, music is the bridge between the known and the unknown. It's a way for me to somehow intimately feel the knowledge of God that is beyond my understanding. You know, what is music after all, but a collection of sounds and pitches and rhythms that somehow when strung together in the right way can reach into our hearts and make us deeply feel something bigger than ourselves. You know, as a certain uh, breadcrumb seeking co-pastor friend of mine said, 
Music is an audible sign of an invisible grace. Music points us to the ineffable God that we experience in our bodies. You know, maybe that's God as the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's why I decided to become a church music director. You know, truth be told, I don't know. But that's okay. What I do know is when I listen to the ending of one of my favorite pieces of music, Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring, I can feel the way that God loves us. I can feel the way that God walks alongside of us in those hard times. The way God understands our sorrows and our joys. The way, as Tom Troger put it, God dreams of worlds we can't conceive. I'll play it for you. I ask that you see what you feel. And thanks be to our God, who is simultaneously known and unknown to us. Amen. <laughs>